So it's Super Bowl Sunday, right? How many Falcons fans do we have out there in the congregation today? Okay. How many Patriots fans do we have out there? How many of you really don't care one way or the other? <laughs> there you go. So uh, we may root for one team, we may root for the other, we may be indifferent, uh, but there's uh, always the commercials, there's the halftime show, and certainly there's the food that goes with Super Bowl Sunday. No matter what happens with the game and its outcome, though, um, I think we can all agree on loving the longer daylight that is upon us, right? As we head steadily towards spring, the days are getting noticeably longer, and we welcome that sunshine back. There's natural light. We've got it uh, here today. Sunshine, moon by night, stars. But then there's also uh, artificial light. Flip of a switch. We've got that available to us. But we're becoming more and more aware that uh, we may have too much light in our lives. Think of long-term overexposure to the sun and the health problems that can have. Think of light pollution that obscures the beauty of the night sky. Think LED lights on our electronic devices that disrupt sleep and, and rest patterns. Salt's the same thing, right? It's as close as the shaker on the table and it comes in all sorts of varieties, kosher salt, sea salt, Himalayan salt, on and on. If anything, we have too much of these things in our lives. We got too much salt. We got too much light. We eat more salt than we should. Not a good uh, time to bring that up, of course, on Super Bowl Sunday with all the snacks that go with this day, but there it is. Doctors and scientists would love it if we reduced salt in our diets and if we stepped away from the illumination of our phones and our tablets and our computers. And yet, in the Gospel lesson for today, Jesus tells us that as his redeemed people, we are salt. We are light. Salt to season the world, light to shine in the world around us. And that's the purpose of each of those things, isn't it? Salt is to season, to flavor. Light is to shine and illuminate. Jesus tells us that as his dearly beloved children, that is what we are meant to do, to season and to shine. And so based on those words of Jesus in the gospel lesson for today, that is the theme of this message, season and shine. May the Lord's rich and abundant blessing rest upon the preaching and the hearing and the living of his word for Jesus' sake. You may want to take out your worship bulletin because we're going to walk through that gospel lesson from Matthew 5 as we move forward here. So in that gospel lesson for today, it picks up where last Sunday's lesson left off. It's a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew. Chapters 5 and 6 and 7 are the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the first of five major sections in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus 
teaches in big chunks. And scholars are draw parallels between Jesus' teaching here and that of Moses in the Old Testament. You see, there are five sections of Jesus' teaching here in Matthew's Gospel, just like there are five books of Moses in the Old Testament, what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. As Moses went up the mountain to receive God's instruction to bring it down to the people, so Jesus went up on a mountain to teach the people as he does here in his Sermon on the Mount. And this is a helpful connection as we look at those words of Jesus in the Gospel lesson. Jesus affirms he didn't come into the world to abolish or do away with the law or the prophets. He didn't come to get rid of them. He came to fulfill them. You see, all of the law, Moses and his message, all of the prophets and their message, they converge and they find their ultimate meaning and fulfillment in this Jesus, who is true God and true man. Jesus came to live that perfect and sinless life of obedience to all that is written in God's law and the prophets. This is what we call his active obedience. He came to do for us what we could never do on our own. All of the thou shalts, all of the thou shalt nots that trip us up, that we fail to live by, that we stumble over, the evil we do, the good we fail to do, all of these Jesus has fulfilled wholly, completely, and fully. And Jesus now imputes and gives that perfection and that righteousness to all who trust in him. That is his gift to you and to me. And so when Jesus says at the end of that gospel lesson, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's absolutely spot on. If we're trying to gain acceptance before God, if we're trying to enter heaven and get into God's good graces through our own righteousness, well, good luck with that. Because it won't cut the mustard. It does not work that way. We look to Jesus and his righteousness that is now our righteousness. All of this he came to do for each one of us that we may be his own, that we may live under him in his kingdom, as Luther says, in his explanation on the second article of the Creed, and that we may serve him in everlasting righteousness and innocence and blessedness. Those words of Jesus in the Gospel lesson, they're divided into two sections. You'll note in your bulletin, there's verses 13 through 16, section 1, verses 17 through 20, 
section two. The first section is where Jesus tells us we are salt and light for the world. Verses 17 through 20 is where Jesus calls us to that righteous living. And we'll look at each of those sections. First of all, maybe how we group these verses together that were last Sunday's gospel lesson and today's, maybe we should reconsider that. What do I mean here? Last Sunday, we heard the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're all in the third person, right? Until we get to verse 11, when it shifts from third person to second person. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that second person usage continues on in verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. Notice that Jesus doesn't urge us here uh, to be salt and light. He doesn't say this is something we should aspire to, something we should become. He says this is what we are, present reality. This is who Jesus makes us to be. Salt to season, light to shine. We don't make ourselves to be these things. It is Jesus at work in us and through us. It's his saving grace that causes this to be, not our own efforts. So with this whole train of thought here, if we go back to verse 11 from last week, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, then what emerges is this. If the pressure of persecution in following Jesus causes us to lose our saltiness in seasoning the world with Jesus, we're not going to be much good to anybody. Or if persecution in following Jesus causes us to hide our life in Christ, our witness to him under a basket, well, we've become a living denial of our very purpose here. What is more meaningless than saltless salt or hidden lamps? It's a contradiction in terms. At the same service next Sunday, February 12th, we're going to be celebrating holy baptism for the life of a little child. Remember how the liturgy for baptism ends? These words of Jesus here in verse 16 are spoken to that infant, that child, that young person, that adult. 
As Jesus says to that person, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, who is the light of the world, shines his light and his love through each one of us into the lives of people around us. We're not the source of that light. We're just the reflectors of that light. The praise doesn't belong to us, but to God, as we join Jesus on his mission. That's section one, verses 13 through 16. Second section, verses 17 through 20, these may be a bit more challenging verses to grasp here. We see here Jesus' relation to Judaism, the church's relation to the synagogue, the gospel's relation to the law of Moses. And you may say, so what? What does that mean? The point here is that following Jesus does not mean being careless about conduct, nor does grace mean permissiveness. Sometimes followers of Jesus will say things, do things that are very unchrist-like, saying, well, I can do whatever I want to. I'm under the canopy of God's grace and forgiveness doesn't matter. I've got forgiveness. I'm covered. Be very careful with that line of thinking. Do not use your liberty in Christ as an excuse for license. This is the very thing we hear of in today's Old Testament lesson where God rebukes his people for observing all of the outward rituals, all of the externals of faith, like fasting, but not living out what faith means. Hear what the Lord God says. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless person into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Just outside the doors of this sanctuary is a reminder of the needs of our neighbor. The Super Bowl of caring to address hunger needs that are present right here in Fairfax County, one of the richest counties in the entire nation where hunger is alive and well in our neighborhoods and communities. Hypothermia shelter that addresses those people named the homeless in that Old Testament lesson. We're going to serve at St. Mark's Lutheran Church on Backlick Road in Springfield in the week ahead, starting tonight. And every evening, prepare and serve food. Interact with the folks who are staying at the hypothermia shelter to be Christ to our neighbor. 
You see, when all is said and done, the obedience which Jesus demands here in his Sermon on the Mount must be understood as a response to, not an effort to gain God's favor. Because of all that God and Christ has done for us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are moved to obey, to follow, to serve, not a got to, but a get to. Not because we have to, but we want to, to serve as Christ has served us. We live in uncertain days in this divisive and rancor-filled atmosphere that is our country at present. What do we do? We look for opportunities to join Jesus on his mission and be Christ to our neighbor. Whether that neighbor is Republican or Democrat or Independent or whatever, it does not matter. The love of Christ compels us to see Christ in our neighbor and respond as Christ himself would. And that, my friends, is where God's people begin to season and to shine in the world. No matter who wins the Super Bowl, no matter what may happen in the world around us, we go out into that world that God so dearly loves and for which he gave the life of his only son to be salt, to season, to be light, to shine, to be Christ to our neighbor until Christ shall come again. God help us to do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.